Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Diet Riot Podcast. I'm Brooke Miller. I'm Alyssa Miller. We're both dietitians. Both moms. Both live in Denver. From the Midwest. And are here on this podcast with you right now. Welcome. We're so excited to have you. Um, I am so excited about today's guest. We've got Brie on and we cannot wait to introduce you guys to her. And she's going to share a little bit about her story today. And we're just going to go through all the things. We're super excited about it. So Brie, can you uh, say hello and tell our listeners who you are, what you do, and how you got to be doing what you're doing? (laughs) Hey, guys. Um... I'm Brie. I'm a Canadian, fun fact. Um, And I got into nutrition kind of by accident and selfishly, actually. So I'm a registered (laughs) dietitian also. Um, Second degree. So I actually have a business degree, which I, I mean, I have my own business, but I clearly don't use any of it. Um, And (laughs) (laughs) I call it my volleyball degree because I just did something Uh so I could keep playing volleyball in college. But yes, um, I came upon nutrition when I was working full time, you know, typical, this isn't what I want to do. What do I want to do with my life? And at the time I was really obsessed with fitness because I was no longer an athlete and like still wanted to be fit Mm -hmm. and also nutrition. So I thought, Hey, that might be really interesting to learn more about. So I kind of went into it selfishly in terms of like, let's learn more for me so I could be thinner pretty much. If I'm going to be honest, thinking, yes, I really just like wanted to be, wanted to be the healthiest, but also wanted to be the thinnest I could be because that was always just something I thought that I should strive for as kind of the overweight athlete, but that's kind of into my story, I guess. (laughs) No, this Uh, makes like, this is ringing so home for me. I feel like not only for myself, but also everyone in my program, like as a dietitian, that Mm -hmm. was one of our main factors of going in is like, I was obsessed with nutrition. I truly was. And I loved the science behind it. But also there's this thought of like, well, if I become a registered dietitian, then I'm going to eat healthier. Like, because knowledge is Mm -hmm. power, right? Like as soon as I know more, I'm going to do more. It's like, no, that's not how life works. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) it is so true for so many dietitians, I can't even tell you. So rings true over here. Totally. Yes. <laughs> I've heard that from a lot of other people, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So I, I went into nutrition and originally I wanted to be a sport dietitian, you know, being a volleyball player, I, I assumed I wanted to be a sport dietitian. Although in Canada, it's very difficult to do that. It's not like the States where, you know, colleges and, un- and universities have dietitians on staff. In Canada, it's not like that at all. Oh, wow. So mm-hmm. lo and behold, no job opportunities for me <laughs> um, when I was done. But it was through working in sport that I really became more aware about eating disorders and disordered eating because it is so prevalent in the sport world. And so I think that that really opened my eyes to this whole other world of disordered eating, eating disorders that I really hadn't considered before because it it was all about the health and all about you know losing weight for so long and I think it was through my placement in a sport nutrition placement in my internship that I was really like I have some issues because we Mm -hmm. were helping athletes with their issues and I'm like this is me like yeah I I do that I do these things I'm worried about my body Mm -hmm. I'm trying to be thinner like because I think I don't look like the typical volleyball athlete or whatever it is right like Mm -hmm. even as a retired athlete in quotations, Mm -hmm. I still felt like I didn't fit the part. And I just saw myself so much in the athletes that we were helping. And I was like, I have to, (laughs) I have to evaluate what's going on here because I can't be helping people with this if I haven't helped myself yet. So Mm -hmm. that kind of kicked off my whole intuitive eating 
fixing my relationship with food, exercise, and body as well, because I was like, man, there's so many deep-rooted issues here that I don't think I realized until it was mirrored back to me um, with these other athletes. So that's kind of how I got into intuitive eating and body image and all that kind of stuff. So that is really oh. incredible that you had that kind of like self-actualization of what's going on. Cause I think so many of us are deep into it so far that we're like, Oh, that's not me. That's not me. And like, maybe there's this little tug at you, you know, and I'm sure our listeners can understand where it's like, sometimes when you hear people on the internet talk about, you know, food freedom and Oh, um, like we get this all the time where we specifically, usually when we talk about Weight Watchers and how it's a diet, people are like, it's not a diet and you get really defensive. And that's that little string pulling at you saying, eh, there's a little something wrong going on over here. There's something that's got a hold of me um, that it's not leading to freedom. And so that's really powerful that you're able to self-actualize that in the reflection and and looking at those athletes, because that's not easy to do, to look at yourself, right? And see, hey, there's something off here, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would love to hear too, like, when you had this realization of, okay, maybe I'm not pursuing this just for my health. Maybe there's underlying reasons and thoughts that I have. Like, I would love to hear more about your journey of how you dealt with that, how you actually like how that came to a head and how you found that. Cause I think that with clients, like you and I find most, most often is people don't realize that these thoughts are there as much as they are. And a lot of times we disguise it as health. Like I'm just doing this for my health. I'm doing this for my health. Every discovery call is I want to improve my health. And then when you dig deeper and ask those questions, really, they just say, I want to get skinnier. I want to get smaller. And they say that regardless of their body size, like doesn't matter what they look like. That is the answer always. And so when we dig deep, um, a lot of times we find that it's not actually health necessarily that we are striving for. It's usually a smaller body. So I'd love to hear just like how that shifted in your life, how you realized that, how it affected your relationship with volleyball and um, joyful movement too. Like, I'd love to hear just your story and how, how it impacts, like how you look at exercise and, and things like that today. Totally. So my story, not that it's sad, but I think that, so at the same time of me going through this placement of working with these athletes who have disordered eating, I had a very bad injury. Like, I mean, I hurt my hip, so I couldn't exercise for almost I want to say five weeks, like it was over a month. And that was probably the longest I had ever gone without moving my body or or working out or exercising in my, like, since I could remember, like I've, you know, Mm -hmm. like practicing multiple times a week, working out on top of that. Like it was, I was an over exerciser, like for sure, a hundred percent. And that is kind of the catalyst on top of me seeing it. That really made me feel like, like, if I can't move my body, how am I supposed to maintain my weight? I can't trust myself to not eat, not overeat. So essentially my story is that I never was able to listen to my fullness cues. I had a lot of negative relationship with food where I overate a lot and felt, you know, um, out of control around food. And I think that my injury and not being able to move my body and kind of make up for my overeating, let's say, is how I kind of viewed it with my exercise that I was like, I need to figure out how to listen to myself and trust myself. And that was kind of Mm -hmm. the catalyst to like, okay, there's definitely issues here. (laughs) Um, Because all of a sudden I couldn't use exercise. I couldn't just move my body and feel like that was going to keep me in a certain size because over-exercising was the only way for me to stay in that size. 
And I didn't think mm-hmm. it was over-exercising until I had this injury that I was like, okay, clearly, I mean, I'm 30. I was 30 at the time. So I was like, I'm 30. I don't know that I can keep up this pace forever either. My body's clearly telling me that I can't keep exercising this way. So unfortunately, it really did take a pretty big injury for me to really come to terms with, A, I'm over-exercising. B, I don't trust myself with food. And I still at that point didn't actually think about body image too much. So I'll be 100% mm-hmm. open and clear that body image came last for me. Mm-hmm. The food mm-hmm. came first, the exercise came second, and body image came last. And I think that, and, and I did it on my own, but I think that once, when I work with my clients, body image always comes up earlier because you're able to talk it out with somebody. I didn't do that. I worked on, which is why I do what I do, because I'm like, I wish I would have had somebody to talk to about this. But, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, okay, well, let's just focus on hunger and fullness first, because I just thought I was overeating because if I could get that under control, again, here I am thinking about still being in that smaller body, right? Like not fully accepting all of intuitive eating in its entirety. I think I thought about the fullness and the hunger piece and that being enough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So every time I did one of the principles, I was like, oh no, I need to figure out emotional eating. Okay, no, I need to figure out exercise. And I think that it just kind of snowballed that eventually I was like, I need into, I need intuitive eating completely. And then I finally got to the body image piece. But so for me, it was really yeah. about listening to my body in the beginning, just with food in terms of fullness and hunger, because then, you know, clearly I wasn't moving my body. So I just automatically assumed that I would eat less and sometimes yes, sometimes no. But I think that I played around with that, with my injury a little bit. And that was really helpful because then I started to trust myself because before at zero mm-hmm. trust whatsoever, like, my friends used to call me chips because I would just like eat the whole bowl and like things like that, like <laughs> all kinds of um, interesting things. But I think with exercise, it was once I was able to move my body again, I think I, I was more grateful for what my body could do. I think yeah. that I realized how much I put it through because I was over-exercising so much. Like I was doing too much. And I, and it was interesting. One of the signs of overtraining is, you know, poor sleep. And it was something that I never actually put two and two together that working out too much could actually hurt my sleep because I think my body couldn't even relax. Like my muscles were so sore, my joints were sore and I couldn't get comfortable in bed, but I always just thought it was because I, I don't know, my body was like, I always blamed my body for it. And yet here I was Mm -hmm. overtraining and that's why I couldn't sleep. And then it just like snowballed into like me being a grouch and like, you know, not just hangry, just like sleep deprived and like all these other things. So I think that once I started to actually get back into movement after my injury, I was like, I can't play as much volleyball anymore. So I stopped playing tournaments on weekends because I would play volleyball like two to three days a week and then work out five to six days a week. Like it was a lot, a lot, especially volleyball, which is very hard on the body and on your joints. Um, So, you know, I kind of cut it out slowly um, because I was scared. At the, when I first started, I was scared of weight gain. And I think that most people can relate yeah. with that because if you focused on either maintaining or losing weight for so long, it is super scary to think like, I'm going to change how I live my life. That means my body's going to change. But I think that I just went mm-hmm. at it really slowly because I knew it was best for me, but I was still scared. So it's kind of like moving yeah. forward with like this faith of like, it's going to be okay. And this is best for me, even though it's really, really scary. And so that's what I tell a lot of my mm-hmm. clients when they're like, I'm just scared of waking. And I'm like, I get that, but we always have to remember the benefits, right? I think a lot of people put yes. 
we focus so much on the negative on what we think is the negative right but we always have to remind ourselves of what the benefits are and so that's kind of what helped me do that kind of peel back on the exercise over time really start to heal my relationship with specific foods at the beginning and then kind of loosen up over time it took me I want to say a year to do that with both food and exercise and then I kind of focused on body image because I had gained weight and then all of a sudden it's like I'm not playing volleyball as often. I'm not as active. I'm still struggling with this injury till this day. And that impacts how I can move my body. And it, it is challenging me and my relationship with my body because now I'm injured right now. My ability to move is limited. Um, you know, like going on walks, I can't go on really long walks with my dog or my boyfriend. And, and sometimes that brings a lot of resentment with your body image, not even just mm -hmm. about the way you look. It's also about ability for me because of my injuries. So it's been interesting to work through some of those things because sometimes we take that for granted. And I think that a lot of body image work is about gratitude and about, you know, thanking your body for what it can do. But I think it's also about like not resenting it for what it has done that might not be actually positive or might not be um, helpful to the life you want to live. And that's just, that's what, that's why acceptance I think is so important. Why I talk about that a lot. Yeah, wow, I think so you, good. yeah, I think you really beautifully bridged like how all of the principles of intuitive eating and how you want to live your life and setting those goals and intentions for your life too. Um, what a beautiful demonstration of how they all get interwoven together um, and why we can't just pick and choose through the principles and say, okay, I'm just going to take this part. Thank you. Goodbye. And it, and, you know, for a period of time, I mean, for a period of time you do, right? You're like, this is all I can handle. And right. we tell our members this all the time where we're like, hey, when we have many courses in there and we encourage them to read the book and we're like hey once you're done with it do it again like continue to go deeper on the mini courses and whatever else you know whatever resources you have available to you continue to go deeper because every time we go through it we pick up something that we weren't able to before our hands were full our our minds were full and that's okay it's okay to take it piece by piece so I think that was a really beautiful illustration of how you kind of had to break it down and be like okay, this is working for me now. What's next? And how can I implement that part? You know, mm -hmm. I think there's two like seasons of life, even seasons of the year. Like mm -hmm. when I started my intuitive eating journey, it was like mostly throughout the fall and winter. And then I thought I was feeling good. And then summer hit. And then all of a sudden you're like, Ooh, new things to worry about. And I always yes. tell my clients this example. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, Christmas time was hard and you're thinking a lot about food and then all of a sudden summertime rolls around and I'm thinking about alcohol and, and all the fun drinks I'm going to drink and all of a sudden I'm like oh my relationship with that is all of a sudden at the surface because I don't I guess I don't drink that much alcohol mm -hmm. in the winter time I don't know <laughs> you know hot weather <laughs> yeah, makes me want right. to beer more I don't know something like that right yeah. and so I think True. I wasn't expecting that but I think that I, I um going through it at least again, was helpful because different things come up at different times because you're not going to encounter every situation while you go through all the principles the first time or while you're reading mm -hmm. the book the first time. Um, so even seasons of the year, like when I work with my clients, it's three months. And I'm like, sometimes we work together in the summer. Sometimes it's winter. And I'm like, but you'll be able to use this as other things come mm -hmm. up. And it's about learning the skills so you can apply them in different yeah. situations. So it's not even just like, like life seasons, which is also true because you'll always, right. you know, go through different things in your life. And I'm not a mom yet, but I know that I will re re revisit a lot of things once I, if I do, I'm lucky enough to have children and have my body change like that again, right? Like, mm -hmm. I know mm -hmm. that my body will go through different stages in life. And it's about being able to go through each of them <laughs> with the principles all over again, right? 
Yes. Oh my gosh. What do you, when clients are just feeling really stuck, because obviously intuitive eating is like such an up and down ride. You know, we have days where it's really easy and then we have days where it's really hard. When you feel like clients are getting stuck with, with the body image piece, like what are, what's one thing that helped you when you were feeling stuck or something that's been really beneficial for your clients in regards to body image? Because I know you mentioned gratitude, which is so helpful for all of us to, we should all be like really focusing on gratitude. What other tools or things um, has really helped you on your journey? You know, like how I work personally is I'm, I'm more of like a person who likes to rationalize things. So body image is so emotional for so many people. And, Mm -hmm. and I think our bad body image days are mostly fueled by emotions. Like, like if you've ever Mm -hmm. looked at yourself more than once, like in a mirror more than once in a day, I'm sure you feel differently at both those times (laughs) or you look different at both those times because of your emotions, right? Like the way that the tricks that our brain and our emotions play on us when it comes to body image is big. So I'm a big rationalizer and I try to make it as rational as possible. And so what I mean by that is, you know, I tell myself that this is emotional and it is a wave, right? Like sometimes our emotions are really high. And so sometimes I'm like, I really don't like my body right now, but I remind myself that in half an hour, I'll probably feel different or after a good poop, I'll probably feel different or after my next meal or (laughs) after I move my body, right? Like, you know, it's kind of like, and I know that it's like, we know these patterns and yet sometimes we get stuck in that negative spiral. So for me, it's about rationalizing it first. So I don't get stuck in that negative spiral because I think that's what, is so sucky for some of my clients is that they let that kind of dictate how they feel for the rest of the day or how they choose to fuel themselves or move their bodies for the rest of the day or what clothes they wear, how they treat people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's so important to be able to recognize that it is emotional and then it'll kind of just go in waves. And so for me, that was really helpful mm-hmm. of like, it's going to be okay. Like so, some sort of mantra for me to be like, it's okay. I'm just being emotional right now you know, and that's fair, right? Like whatever I'm feeling is fair, but this shouldn't affect how I, how I treat myself or treat my body or whatever for the rest of the day. And that pact I think is really helpful. So I think I just encourage my clients to figure out like, how can you identify that or have some sort of plan so that when you are having a bad body image day, not to go down that negative spiral. So for some people, it's about wearing comfy clothes mantras or things on their mirrors so that you know wherever your triggers are to kind of put a reminder or for me it was rationalizing right like I think it's about figuring out what works best for you and getting out of your body maybe right like getting outside or whatever it is that will help you not get into that negative spiral I think is what's what's best and I I mean I guess I helped them figure out what that is for them but that was a few examples of what they found was helpful. Well, yeah. And I think, um, A, of course, it's different for every person. Every person is so, so different. So it is helpful to have someone else help you realize your patterns because it takes Mm. so much longer. And listen, coming from three people who have gone through this (laughs) basically on their own and say, okay, we've had to dig ourselves out. It is hard work and it is long work and it is stressful work. And to, to realize the Um, patterns that you have in your own life is nearly impossible. Like next to impossible. It is so hard. And yet all of us can point out patterns in other people. I can tell you all my husband's (laughs) patterns. Okay. He's got all of them. But you know, it really is helpful to get that second opinion or someone else to kind of hear you out and give you tips to figuring out what your patterns are, where your triggers are, and how can we, um, how can we intervene there, you know, and, and that's really the first step. And I I loved how you kind of talked about that, that the first step is recognizing what 
what your patterns were so that you yourself knew, okay, how can I stop that pattern from just repeating itself over and over and over again? Um, And that is really really where the magic starts to happen is when we realize our own triggers or our own patterns that continue to play out in our life. And this is, I mean, what got me into this whole idea that diet culture exists and that diets aren't good is like I kept seeing patterns of the restrict binge cycle over and over and over again. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's so obvious to you that this is going to lead me into a binge um, situation. And then I'm going to feel bad about myself. And then I'm going to start dieting again. And I'm going to, you know, feel like I have some semblance of control, then I'm going to quote, lose control. And then I'm going to look around and think everyone else has better control than I do. And then I feel bad about myself. And I'm going to binge and blah, blah, blah. It's good. It just keeps going. And recognizing those patterns is so important to realizing for you personally, what will work. Mm-hmm. Totally. I, I have a couple examples outside yeah. of myself, which I think is always helpful to to share. You know, the one of my clients, this was a, a while ago, she was like, you know, I, I, I look at myself in the mirror so often. And that was her trigger. And I said, okay, well, you know, just getting to know her, where's this mirror that you're always looking at? She goes, oh, it's in the hallway. And I asked her, I'm like, do you need a mirror in the hallway? She goes, well, I guess not. I'm like, mm-hmm. so move it. And she's like, it seems so simple, but she moved right. it. And she's like, I walk in the hallway multiple times a day, especially like working from home. And she goes, now I don't think about, like, I don't even have an opportunity to look at myself to think negatively. And she goes, but it's in the other room. So if I actually want to go look and see if my clothes is whatever I'm wearing is fitting Mm -hmm. or whatever, like it's still there. It's still an option, but it's not this automatic, like in my way thing. So that was something that was interesting to her because she's like, it, it really did seem simple. Just move the mirror. <laughs> right. And it, it shifts it from being um, almost like an interruption in your day to being yeah. intentional, right? Like yeah. mm-hmm. this can be an interruption where I'm walking into the hallway because I have to go to the kitchen or I have to go pee or whatever. And I see this mirror and it, and it triggers you in a way that you weren't prepared for versus I loved what you said is it's still there. It's in a different room. She just has to be more intentional. And mm-hmm. just having that, that intentionality behind it and that break, that little a millisecond even to set your intentions like, okay, I'm going to go look at myself in the mirror and see how these fit can prepare you in a way and you can, you know, come up with ways that make you prepared for that moment versus getting interrupted in a way that you weren't prepared for, you know, that that was such a great example. I love that. So simple, but so effective. Mm -hmm. And with that example, the scale, that is like a huge thing. thing. Like take it out of your bathroom, toss it, throw it, get rid of it, throw it in the trash. Like if you are looking at that scale every day in your bathroom and you are tempted to get on it or you are getting on it every day and letting it affect your mood and your day and what you eat, like that is another thing that it seems so simple to hide the scale or remove the scale. Um, And sometimes we need it out of the house. Like sometimes moving it into the closet or moving it into another room is not good enough and it's not going to work for us. And that's really you challenging yourself and asking yourself, like, is this serving me in a positive way? And if it's not respecting your body, getting rid of it in whatever capacity that looks like. Everybody's different. For some of us, it is just removing it from the bathroom. And for um, a lot of people, they will go find it one day that they want to bully themselves and they will get on it. And it's like, everybody's so different, but it's just really important that you start, you know, that we're all like tuning into our own journeys and our own bodies and really like asking ourselves those hard questions and really challenge ourselves. because yeah, you're right. It's like a lot of these things are not earth shattering, like move the mirror, move the scale, but it, what a difference it makes. Like it makes such a difference. One for me that I found really powerful. I actually learned from a minimalist channel on YouTube 
totally random. And I, it was about um, getting rid of stuff in your closet. And she was in no way, shape or form a dietitian or an intuitive eating guru or anything. But she was just saying, hey, let's get rid of all the food, all the clothes that don't fit us right now. And her reasoning was, how did those clothes make you feel? They they put on weight on your shoulders. You're actually carrying around this weight of every time you see that jacket you used to be able to fit into or those pants you used to be able to fit into. It brings just old thoughts. And it it's not even necessarily, I mean, there are ways to to change your thoughts and reframe them, but why have it in there? Are you hoping to one day be a smaller size? Are you uh, are you holding on to some sort of memory that that clo- that piece of clothing is attached to? And if it's bringing you like every time you're sifting through your clothes, if it's bringing you back to those feelings of when I was smaller and starting to make you feel bad, get it out of your closet. You don't need to hold on to mm-hmm. it. Take a picture of it if you want to remember it and move on. And it was so powerful for me, not only in a minimalistic style of getting rid of clothes and actually having more just like mental energy in my closet, but also also, not having to be reminded about clothes I used to fit into every time I got dressed, which is a daily occurrence for most of us, although during mm-hmm. the pandemic, maybe not. But <laughs> it definitely is a daily occurrence that we're, we're trying to get dressed. So just that constant reminder. And again, it's it's the intentionality behind it versus um, being interrupted or being, you know, just shown it. So totally. Mm-hmm. It's about like breaking patterns too, right? Because sometimes these aren't even like you're not even thinking about it. Like it's just such a part of your daily routine and like humans love routine. So I get that it's difficult to break, but yeah, exactly. Even just moving in a different place or whatever, like at least it makes, gives you a break in your routine to be like, Oh Mm -hmm. yeah, I did that for a reason. Right. And that's really helpful. Mm -hmm. I had a client even who just Mm -hmm. took the batteries out because she's like, my boyfriend still wants it. And I was like, that's fine. But like, give him the batteries (laughs) and then like, don't buy any more batteries and he can like keep his little pair and, um, you know, sometimes it's about compromise with who you live with, but you know, she, yes. she made a, she figured out how to make it work. Right. So it's about, yeah, exactly. Figuring out what works best for you. So I'm all, I'm all like about rationalize in my head. I talk to myself, so that's kind of where I go, but that's again, not for everybody. <laughs> I think I'm definitely on that train for sure. I'm definitely more of a logical <laughs> like thinker about is that like a type and, a dietitian thing right or, right yeah I don't we know. pick it up a theme over here with our <laughs> dietitian selves um yeah. I think I think a lot of our members would agree with that though of of being able to explain it to themselves in a way that feels um like it makes sense right like a lot of our um a lot of our members struggle with the emotional side of dieting and missing that dieting feeling. And we've talked about this a lot recently where we can just bring it back to the logical, like diets don't work. And here's the mountain of evidence to show that it doesn't work. So even when we can make it that basic of an argument against ourselves, even though our emotions are pulling in us in another way, it kind of, it almost grounds us in a way back down to reality and the real world and what our experiences are from the past and why would it be any different this time um, can be really powerful. So I think most people would say that they like <laughs> the <laughs> rationalization of it. Um, at least I think it will help most people in a, in some sort of capacity because it needs to come from all angles, right? Like mm-hmm. there's multiple here going on. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think so one of the other things that I've heard from um, another, I learned from another dietitian, Jessica Setnick, she, she talked to, I took one of her boot camps and she goes, you know, people, we never actually ever see ourselves. And she goes, sit with that for a second. And I was like, okay, well, I see myself in mirrors and mm-hmm. puddles and pictures. And she in goes, yeah, puddles. but you've never actually looked at yourself like dead on. You've looked at like your waist down, but you've never yep. actually seen yourself. And I was like, huh. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know, something about that clicked. And I always bring that up for my clients as something for them to think about because I'm like, 
to really think about it, you've never really seen yourself. So the, what you're, because, you know, d- even mirrors can be different, right? You know how you totally. go shopping and like different oh, stores yeah. have different mirrors and they're all over the place. So I'm like, how do you know what you actually look like? Right. And it's kind of one of those things that I help that I think helps with like that body dysmorphia a little bit that it's just like, is this actually what I'm seeing or is this me being really emotional and in my head about it or, you know, whatever it is. And I think that that's kind of helpful for a lot of people as well. They're like, yeah, I don't know what I look like. And it's kind of a nice, like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's almost like it's not on me anymore. It's not under, it's not under my control anyway. So, you know, it's, it's not, um, I don't know. We actually did this exercise with uh, some people on our email list where I did this challenge. It was called a no track challenge. And I talked about that in the way that people can't seem to stop tracking. Even when they give up the app, they still know, right? Like you can't yes. unknow yeah. how many calories are in an apple or whatever. And here's, it's the exact same principle that I taught them about an apple. Guess what? An apple is not 102 calories. It's not. Every apple is so uniquely different in weight and size and shape and the way that it was grown and the water content versus the flesh versus the fiber versus all these things. Every apple is different. So I'm sorry, Calorie King, but you're wrong. You are (laughs) taking an average of an average apple and giving people this number that they are die hard holding onto so tight and they are like, can't go one calorie over. And guess what? Those calculations are wrong. One cup of rice does not equal one cup of all rice that's out there all the time. And I know that's really scary. And it sounds like I'm taking away something from you that you've held on to for so many years. But even the information that you've been fed that you've taught yourself from my fitness pal isn't Mm -hmm. even right. And we are living our life minute by minute, calorie by calorie on something that isn't even and in some cases, it is far off. Can you tell me how much a medium apple weighs? No, no one, because you're just like, oh, this is medium-ish. I remember specific, okay, this is like low point for me for tracking, okay? I got out a measuring tape to measure my banana so that I knew I was tracking it correctly. Like that is like the level of where I was at mentally. Like, well, is this a six inch banana? Is six inch medium? I don't know. Guess what? It doesn't matter because my banana is different than your banana. Every banana grows differently. And that's what's beautiful about Whole Foods. But I think it's sometimes it's almost comical to look at it now and think, oh my gosh, I used to actually think those numbers were accurate and they're just not. And so um, I think that's, it's kind of similar. It made me think of that when you said you don't actually see yourself. It's like your perception of what's real or what you're holding on to is actually quite the opposite. So yeah. it kind of helps break that thought, you know? Mm-hmm. And obviously that's being fueled so by a true. lot of beliefs and feelings, right? Like, yes, especially when it comes to body, but food too, for sure. A hundred percent. Yep. Mm-hmm. All yeah. intertwined. Oh my gosh. I think the biggest takeaway with this stuff is just like challenge these thoughts, like be willing to challenge these thoughts because so many times we just let that, like, like you were saying with the calories, we just like, let that be the truth and black and white. And we just like, like the exercise, eat, exercise less, eat more. Oh my God. I can't talk. (laughs) Exercise more, eat less. That theory has been around. People just believe it's true. They believe it's completely true and it's not like, it's not a hundred percent truth. And so I think just really challenging all of the thoughts about our food and body is kind of the first step in like making these changes is like really questioning things and, um, questioning yourself, questioning your thoughts and seeing if there is a better way. So I love 
I love everything you guys said. So good. What yeah. a great way to wrap it up. Challenge those thoughts. <laughs> really pick it out. Is that factual? Is that based in fact? Where did you hear that? Did you hear that yes. on an Instagram ad? Dr. Did you hear Oz? it? Did you hear it on Dr. Oz? You know, where did you hear it? And then substantiate it. If you did hear it somewhere and you remember where you heard it, go in and substantiate it because and listen, I know that's something that a lot of people won't actually do, but it's just something to think about that you're like, okay, let's take that one step further. Just because Karen on the internet told me doesn't mean it's right either. Who's Karen? We don't know. We don't know who Karen is. <laughs> and you know, I think we were taught this in um, in school is how to research and how to substantiate and how to look, you know, even further into the research of who's funding it and what's going on in the back, you know, kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so many people aren't trained that way. And unfortunately, way too trusting of what people spouse on the internet. Um, and you know, it's, it's something really powerful to say, okay, let's challenge those thoughts, see where those are coming from. Uh, Brie. Okay. This, <laughs> we got so good. such good conversation. And if you guys are sitting there being like, okay, it's all good and dandy for me to challenge these thoughts, but like, I don't know, I don't know how to do the research. I don't know what's true. And you're like, ah, how could I think, not think black and white when that's all I've ever known, all I've ever heard lucky for you guys, that's what we do. That's right. <laughs> we love challenging people on their thoughts, don't we? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, we do. We're all challengers. Challengers. Yes. Good, good in or a bad. Nice way. In a nice way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In a very in a very loving way, because really, truly, we have all been heartbroken by diet culture and seen the heartbreak that it has caused in people. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we have a free podcast to teach people what diet culture is, how to spot it and how to get rid of it in their life to find peace in their own body and love within themselves and know that you are enough. What's inside your body is enough. You are the only one who gets to tell yourself or anyone else that you're hungry or full. No one can feel those feelings for you. No one, okay? No one can tell you how or what your body needs when. And I mean, honestly, that is why we are here is because it's it's heartbreaking to see what diet culture has done to the world and we want to take it back. So excuse us while we change the world. But <laughs> um, Brie, I would love it if you shared, you know, where people can find more information about you, how they can work with you, all the things. Let us know. Cool. So I'm... I like Instagram the most. I'll be upfront and honest. I do the TikTok, yep. but I'm like, I don't know. I feel old. And I do the it's... TikTok. <laughs> I do the TikTok. <laughs> I try. Oh, it's entertaining to me, but I don't know that we're it's... We're in our 30s. Strength. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you can find me on Instagram. I'm just at nutritionist.brie, B-R-I, very simple. Um, and I do most of my stuff on there. In terms of how to work with me, I do one-on-one coaching, which is really awesome in case you want me to come challenge all the heck out of your beliefs. I would love <laughs> to do that. Um, but I'm actually also opening up the doors to Food Freedom Academy, which is my group coaching program. So it is a small group coaching program that you get to learn all about intuitive eating, body image, and exercise. And that's going to be happening in January. So you can send me a DM on Instagram um, and we can get you on the wait list and see if it's a good fit for you. That's awesome. And coming from, so we have our membership and coming from a place of a membership, like that community cannot be oversold you guys like it is so powerful to see that you're not alone in your thoughts and and what you've struggled with maybe it's not the exact same story but honestly most of the times it's it is you know unfortunately Mm -hmm. that's where diet culture pushes us so group coaching so powerful to be in a group of 
typically women, you know, is usually who we work with, but not always, um, who are all striving for the same thing and recovering from the same diet culture that has, you know, torn apart parts of our lives and um, really, really powerful. Thank you, Bree, so much for coming on and sharing all your wisdom and your story. And um, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we leave them? I'm not sure. I don't think so. We covered it. We covered it all. Everything I wanted to say. (laughs) Everything. It's all out there now. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming. We loved this. Oh, so excited for for you. And I'm excited. Yeah. I also think I very quite possibly will name the title of this episode. I do the TikTok. I think that's my favorite. I do the TikTok. I don't know why I keep oh, saying it like that. I do the TikTok. <laughs> I, also, I just I want to, to point out how hard it has been for my, I, my family's from Minnesota and I'm from the Midwest, for my accent not to come out so strong with you. I think it helps them a little the stuffed Canadians. up. The Canadians. Uh, Anytime they're an out there like, hey, oh, you sure? Yes. Oh, you sure do. Oh, oh yeah. Do. Oh, you sure I, do. I actually, I actually speak French like I'm actually from. <gasps> um, wait, some wait tell us something no... in French. Oh. No. <laughs> yes. Do yes. it. Please. Brie, I took. Okay. I took five years of French. Nice. I don't know anything. You took I five don't know, years? I don't know jack shit about French. Je ne sais pas. That's it. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. I know. Comment t'appelles tu et tu? That's all I got. That's all I got. That's so crazy. Uh, it's I'm not so it's not a strong Canadian accent, let me tell you. No, it's, it's not. not strong. But it is like it's very reminiscent no French of my accent. home. I've heard I've had no a French. French I have a French accent, so I Well really, you know what? I wouldn't be able to tell you. I, I'm not like Can you please speak French? Like <laughs> give, give us a little more. Give us a little more. This is going to the bloopers. <laughs> I think I think I that this do, is I why do I... the TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> she, she said a tiktok yeah um i think that's better. why i don't like when people say brianne because i think in my head it's brianne so brie oh. is like the nickname that like is cool in english but like i, I don't know and it's that's also interesting. like long name mom i don't know so it's yeah but we go with brie <laughs> oh my god that's <laughs> amazing <love> <laughs> yeah i will not even try to pronounce it the french way because i oh, don't brianne. you know i took brianne. six I seven years of Spanish. And you know what my number one um, professor complaint, I would call it, was, was that I spoke Spanish with a French accent. <laughs> <laughs> That's how bad Amazing. I am. I uh, probably speak Spanish with a French accent too. You would. Yes, but you that would make sense That's for you. That's legit. <laughs> I don't even know French. And so for me to speak That's it hilarious. in a French accent, they were like, are you French? And I'm like, no, not at all. Not even a little bit. I am the That's most so Midwestern amazing. you've ever seen. Oh, that's it. so funny. <laughs> Anyways, and on that note, I do the TikTok. <laughs> I do the TikTok. Uh, I do the TikTok, yeah. Okay. Brie, thank you so much for coming on. And for all you writers out there, we will see you next week. Bye. See you later. <laughs>